Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. There's no doubt the U.S. vaping industry faces a public perception problem of gargantuan proportions. While advocates maintain, and the research backs up, that vaping is a safer alternative to smoking, everyday anti-vaping forces meet continued success in their effort to permanently poison the public understanding of vaping. Compounding the problem is a simple fact. Vapors are not a monolithic group drawn from one political perspective or party. How then should the vaping movement activate politically in this U.S. presidential election year in order to meet what is clearly political threats, flavor bans, taxation, and other onerous regulations? Joining us today on RegWatch is Matt Cully, a prominent vaping advocate and a virtuoso of vaping product review videos on YouTube. Known as Matt from SMM, he's amassed nearly 300,000 subscribers and 60 million video views. Cully is one of the first product review superstars to venture into the vaping advocacy space, bringing a strong ethical voice and his support for progressive values to bear. Matt, thanks for joining us on RegWatch. Thanks for having me, Brent. I don't know about virtuoso, but that was kind of you. Well, I look for the alliterations. Uh, that's an easy way to write. You know, Matt, I went, had to go through uh, all of our, you know, uh, episode write-ups and everything else. This is our 312th episode. And I was certain that I had you on the show, but this is your first time. I think you had me on uh, with Tristan about right. the uh, rally. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. And you had me on your show in October for a good long, you know, hour and a half, uh, you know, yep. shaking. So Matt, it, it's certain that many of our viewers know who you are, but you know, might be unaware. There's a few out there that might be unaware. So could you share with us a little bit of your journey that's brought you to this place today? Um, I kind of fell into vaping. I uh, was a contractor for years. And then uh, during the uh, uh, housing crash of 2008, obviously uh, that all, went to shit basically. And so then I worked for a newspaper for five years, but at that time I was a heavy smoker. I got oral cancer from, from smoking, had to have surgery. And even then I had, you know, a really hard time quitting cigarettes after, after the surgery. And, uh, Vanessa bought me a cheap gas station vape and I just kind of went down the rabbit hole and, and, you know, started buying more and more stuff and got into the hobby side of it as well. And, and ended up making a YouTube channel for, for fun and, uh, just kind of, you know, gone farther and farther down the hole since then. <laughs> so when was that, that you started the channel? Uh, the channel started beginning of 2014. So that's pretty early on still, isn't it? Or yeah, I, st I started vaping, I think, end of 2012. And then, yeah, the first video I uploaded was February 2014. So tell us a little bit about the content. Let's geek out on the content here for a little bit. So it is product reviews, and then you've also brought in other stuff over time. So take us back to the, the base stuff that you do. Yeah, most most of it's product reviews. Um, last year, I started doing live streams, weekly live streams, and uh, I need to get back at it. But I feel like I keep getting uh, keep getting uh, hindered in some way. But uh, you know, I, and sometimes like I'll make a topical video, but that's it's been a while. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say a good ninety five percent of the stuff is is product reviews. And when it comes to the product reviews, I mean, let's talk about that for a second, because there's been so much turmoil in the industry. How has that turmoil affected product reviews and bread and butter, your ability to make a living doing this kind of stuff? 
Um, it's definitely, well, I mean, you got to remember my viewership isn't just in the States. I would say only like 30% of my views are, are in the U S and so, um, you know, obviously it's kind of a global thing. So like for a while there, I was seeing a lot of views coming from, uh, some of the, uh, Asian countries like, uh, Philippines and, uh, Indonesia, but then they are dealing with their own bands and stuff. And, you know, I get, I get quite a few from Europe. Um, but I mean, this year it's definitely slowed down quite a bit just because, uh, most of the products are manufactured in China. And, uh, because of COVID that's, you know, obviously slowed manufacturing down. Starting so to pick it, back up a little bit, but yeah, it's picked up a little bit, but definitely it's, it's been hurt. So let's let's do a little bit of a walk back here first because we got a lot to talk about. Um, let's ease into it. First of all, think back to the epidemic of teen vaping. Now that started September 2018, and so much coverage, you know, was done. That was so much of a big deal. Reflect back on that. What kind of an impact did that have on the industry and even on your own well-being in terms of having to cover these issues? Yeah. Um, gosh, it's raining really hard outside. So sorry if it sounds like it's pounding out there. It might be hail. Um, I, th you know, when that happened, it was definitely like a term used to invoke emotion. And it did. Um, you know, the FDA did, you know, Scott Gottlieb made that claim. And then the Surgeon General, I, I believe, made that claim, uh, you know, the teen vaping epidemic claim. And, uh, the FDA did a few things as far as regulatory stuff, but you know what really hurt us with that is so many of the uh, anti-tobacco activists grasped onto that. So many of the states and uh, state politicians grasped onto that. And I mean, even today, you know, a lot of times when you read an anti-vaping article or an anti-vaping bill that's that a state is trying to pass, they'll use that teen vaping epidemic line. Um, you know, as, as part of their argument. So, you know, it, it's definitely like one of those things that's, that's slowly bled us. Um, you know, it, it didn't, the, the FDA didn't at that time, didn't change its course a ton. They kind of stepped up regulatory stuff, but not, you know, super damaging to the, to the industry, at least the legit players. But, uh, you know, just, just that, that, uh, term now is just, we're kind of married to it. This industry's basically married to it and they can't, we can't get it off our backs. And it definitely it's a, it's one of those almost impossible goals to have is that, okay, we'll allow your products to stay on the market and save lives, but only if no teenagers ever, yeah. ever try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, it's not to say that the FDA isn't, you know, because we have PMTA coming up, but like, when they made that claim, it wasn't like, okay, there's a teen vaping epidemic, we're gonna shut you all down. It was just kind of this slow bleed where it was like this domino effect where that was getting used against us by so many different uh, powers. And, uh, and you know, obviously we have the big thing at PMTAs coming up later this year. Right, exactly. And we'll wind, we'll meander our way to that, no doubt. So we get through epidemic of teen vaping, kind of, maybe kind of, you know, calms down a bit, but then, you know, the vaping related lung illness hits, uh, in the third week of August of last year. So still not even a year <laughs> since that uh, first started. So talk a bit about, uh, E-Valley, uh, for the lack of a better term, I shall use their corrupt 
acronym. Um, tell us about Evalley. What kind of an impact do you think that it had on A, the industry, and B, again, on your own well-being? That was pretty horrible. I mean, even because, as you know, I mean, people are headline readers. That's how they get their news. And so um, while, you know, it's been cleared up and, and those that are really in the know, including politicians, now understand that, uh, you know, it was from uh, a black market or illicit uh, THC cartridges, it's just like the damage is already done. And so there's so many people out there that still think that vaping was killing people last year. And and so, uh, um, you know, that was a huge blow to the industry. You even saw some vapors quitting vaping and going back to smoking. You know, if they were just quitting vaping and like they were just nicotine free, then that's great. You know, like a lot of people want to use it as a tool to eventually get off nicotine. But there, you know, I heard multiple stories of people going back to smoking um, because they, you know, the, the basically the thought was, well, smoking might kill me in 20 years, but vaping is killing people right away. And so, yeah, I mean, that was a stressful time for myself and I'm sure for you and for everyone else in, in the industry and any, any advocate. And it, and it was just very frustrating because a good portion of us knew what the issue was from the get-go because the cannabis industry themselves, the legitimate cannabis industry, was saying, hey, guys, we know what this is. We already warned about it. Uh, you know, we warned about some of these additives a year ago. It's definitely this. And so it was like everyone was just screaming, we know it's this, it's this. We need to, you know, go after the illicit THC cartridges that uh, some drug sellers are, are uh, um, mixing with vitamin E acetate. But it took months after that for the uh, CDC um, to actually, you know, kind of say they still didn't completely say, oh, it's 100 percent illicit THC, but they basically said, you know, the, the pattern was, it was THC cards. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we, you know, to emphasize what you just said is that we certainly knew definitely by October 4th, when FDA indeed came out on October 4th and yeah. said, Whoa, wait a minute, we can't participate in this lie anymore. I think a lie is fair to say there was a complete split in the, in public health in the U S CDC stuck to their guns and obfuscated uh, and uh, kept that, you know, malaise around the issue going. Whereas the FDA on October 4th said, wait a minute, this is uh, tainted THC carts, vitamin E. It has nothing to do with nicotine vaping. So every day after October 5th, off, you know, from October 5th on, that CDC did not make it clear, do you think the CDC is responsible for illness and death after that? I think it's fair to say that they hold some responsibility. Um, you know, I think when the FDA said that, they basically said all signs point to this, but, you know, some of the users were using both things. But, yeah, I mean, the CDC's messaging was awful, and they could have at least said, you know, they th their argument would be, I'm guessing, hey, we didn't have all the research done. We didn't have the science done yet. We weren't certain. So we didn't want to say, you know, because that's how a lot of people in, in science and, and public health are. We, we don't want to say 100 percent. It's this until we know 100 percent. But they could have had a clearer messaging and not done the whole, you know, where they were basically calling everything an e-cigarette, if you remember. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> um, totally. And so, you know, a lot of that definitely 
it was either stupidity, which is definitely possible because we saw some of some stupidity with uh, their messaging with uh, um, COVID as well, um, or it, uh, or you know, they were purposefully trying to kind of keep things foggy. Mm. Purposefully kind of trying to keep things foggy. I like that. The C- goes, the, into pub- the vape, goes into fa- the vape theme, huh? Yeah. Well, I I guess but actually I wasn't thinking about vape. I was just actually thinking about how the the mind being uh fogged is actually kind of really the the end all the end I, of the mean yeah i mean i even i i vaguely remember i don't remember exactly what he said but i vaguely remember gottlieb who wasn't the fda commissioner at the time but like tweet a lot about evali and stuff and he uh. was actually saying hey it looks like it's thc before you know cdc and a lot of others were i vaguely remember him saying that the cdc was never as open-minded towards vaping as fda was and you know they kind of had a different approach to it and they weren't sold on it yet and so you know you know he kind of i remember that tweet i i I, I wish uh, I had it in front of me, but he kind of, he didn't say it, but he kind of hinted towards the fact that like, they're just not as vape friendly. So they're, 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 he did not that they're purposefully trying to do it to throw shade on vape, but just, they kind of wanted it to be nicotine vaping, I guess. So shade on vape. I mean, that certainly, you know, piled down on vaping in the last 18 months, you know, and you, when you think that it has gotten, as bad as it can be, it gets worse. And we run straight into COVID and then at least six weeks of constant hammering led by our good friend Stanton Glantz there. Um, what do you make, uh, let's, let's set aside for the moment some of the, that great news or interesting news with regards to potentially nicotine playing a positive role in uh, protecting you from COVID. Let's focus on all of the bad stuff for the moment. I mean, you know, what did your gut say and feel when you started to see that coming out right in March? It was March 6th. The lockdown yeah. had not even started yet. That was frustrating. Um, I don't feel personally, I don't feel like that was nearly as damaging as the Valley stuff, just because I don't feel like a lot, I don't feel like it took certain stories take root in the news, you know, and like they kind of go viral and that one, you know, people were talking about it a bit and it wasn't good. Um, but I feel like at the time, everyone was so scared of COVID and there were so many other th- economic things going on and star- starting to happen that that one didn't, wasn't as widespread. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it was definitely like, hey, um, you know, there's a crisis right here where people are getting a, uh, a lung in, you know, disease. So let's talk about you know, vaping and smoking, uh, being damaging to lungs. And, uh, there was no like medical basis whatsoever for the, you know, they, they tried to kind of like skew numbers. Um, but you know, it didn't work out well for them. And so I think that one kind of went away just cause there wasn't enough there for that, them to really like, you know, it, cause it, you don't hear about it as much now, like, Oh, the smokers are dying or the vapors are dying because the, the, uh, data just hasn't really, you know, uh, borne that out. And I wonder too, as well, you know, our producer here at RegWatch, uh, Cindy Schmidt, uh, back around that time said to me, he goes, you know, I wonder if, if any of the research and stories that are coming out that are talking about the potential, you know, uh, therapeutic or, uh, what is it? Prophylactic, uh, uh benefits of, of smoking even, uh, with some of the research with regards to COVID wondering whether or not if that actually was 
there was that it was so strong that it actually tamped down the ability of the anti-vaping forces to keep churning out their garbage. So whether or not if we actually might have witnessed a bit of a PR win there. I don't know. I mean, because I, I, I think that you'd be hard pressed to find somebody outside of the vape space that even knows about some of that science. Like, you you know, I think there was a few articles in, in mainstream press about it where, you know, the French were, were studying nicotine patches and, and there was some interesting numbers. Um, and, uh, they were seeing that, uh, you know, le less smokers per capita were, were getting seriously ill or less, you know, nicotine users per capita. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't know if that is what really like stopped a lot of the, you know, co vapors are going to die from COVID, uh, uh, rhetoric, but, uh, I think it just didn't really take hold the way some people wanted it to probably, you know, like it, it didn't go viral. Like the Valley stuff was the Valley stuff was in mainstream news just about every day back last fall. So let me ask you that question then. Uh, and uh, you know, the sake of my viewers going, Oh, don't, 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 you know, everyone needs to understand something is that Matt and I have spent, you know, hours upon hours having our own conversations about, issues with regards to politics and vaping and everything else. So and we're going to, you know, gingerly walk into some of that area, but you know, uh, we are, we are, uh, well-practiced at having these conversations. Um, and that, and that actually, that was so important to say, I, I kind of forgot where I was going there. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you believe has been the impact that COVID has had on vaping? Um, I think that it's obviously hurt the business side of it, just like it's hurt a, you know, good portion of industries. Um, I think that, uh, there's obviously, there's been product shortages as well because of China shutting down. Um, not to like, I, I don't know what, well, this year's not over, but I will say that it probably took some, some of the limelight away from vaping for a couple months. Um, even though we're starting to see states coming out with, you know, bills again. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it, it wasn't good for the industry. It maybe uh, was, uh, it maybe helped a little bit to kind of take some of the heat off of us because it seemed like uh, vaping was in the news just about every day before COVID. Right, right. Well, I've got a, uh, a short clip here uh, queued up. Um, from an episode of yours that was March 31st, uh, 2020. And um, I'm okay. wearing the same sweater. Oh, the same. Well, there you go. And uh, so let me just make sure that I've got our audio on here too as well. And just going to play it right from the browser. We'll just let's watch a couple of, uh, couple of few seconds of this. I have a special, you know, I especially have gotten triggered over the last few months by the people that downplay this and call it a, uh, uh, you know, a hoax or the folks that try to compare this to, to what we went through with vaping. Like, you know, it's, I live with the nurse. I, I, I know what they're going through. I have talked to people in China. I've talked to people in Italy. This shit is absolutely real. So anyone trying to preach at you right now, like it's, it's no big deal and it's all manufactured is full of shit. I mean, I, I, I hate to, uh, to, uh, to be too rude, but that stuff's really been pissing me off. Hey, so I, I was known certainly and still continue to believe that this was an overblown situation. 
Um, so talk to us a little bit about what was really driving that comment there. Um, I think that it was, well, I mean, look at, look at what social media was looking like at the time, especially within the vape industry. And it wasn't just you. I mean, there was tons of people in the industry that, uh, that were uh, trying to basically draw lines between this and Valley and talk about how it's some big, uh, um, you know, conspiracy, which if you really pick what, you know, no matter what side you're on politically, there's not, there's, there's not a lot of upside to, uh, to manufacturing a fake, uh, crisis that, that kills the global economy and, uh, um, you know, for for what? For some kind of like secret communist control that that some some people want or whatever. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that it got political. You know, and and it that was going to be clear from the beginning. Where okay, we have an election this year. The Democrats are definitely going to be using this as as a you know something to use against Trump, and uh, and vice versa. So, but you know. When you got people that don't deal with public health and and uh, and think that it's no big deal while there's people dying, yeah, that's definitely upsetting. So, uh, from our point of view, and I, in mine's a pure kind of journalist point of view, in the original journalist sense that our journalists today don't have, uh, the vast majority of them, is that you have to be skeptical. If you aren't skeptical, you cannot be a journalist. And what's happened. Now, it's interesting because, you know, RegWatch is activist journalism. I mean, you know, we're activists, you know, for generally the more conservative right, right side of issues. But when we started, it was to give fair voice to resources. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, and from the interior British Columbia. Canada, everything about Canada is all about digging stuff out of the ground and making stuff. And when people start saying you can't take stuff out of the ground anymore um, and, and protest it and ruin, you know, ruin economies because we're quite used to um the more hysterical aspects of people uh trying to ruin our national economy just weeks before covid hit our entire economy was shut down in canada over protests over an lng pipeline not even really for climate change even it was in solidarity so i mean the whole unity solidarity message and everything else long and short of it is is canada was shut down our, 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 our entire major transportation systems were shut down. Highways were shut down. Railways were shut down. Everything was shut down. That's how we rolled into COVID. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it is, it is unusual to say that skept, you need to have skeptic, skepticism in your reporting. Um, we try to be skeptical about vaping where we can. Uh, you know, it's like we don't just take every piece of good research that comes our way out there. Um, and so when it comes to COVID, it was, there was no skepticism, I, I guess, it, it, in the way that- I mean, that there was skepticism everywhere. I mean, look at what was going on. I mean, okay, I get what you're saying. The mainstream media is not usually the skeptics, right? But I mean, all over YouTube and Facebook and whatever, you got people posting videos. Look, this guy went to a hospital and there was no one there. It must be fake, you know? Mm. And so- it, the thing is, is sometimes you have to step back and where I land is that nothing is black and white and everything is nuanced. So are all regulations bad? No. Are all regulations good? No. 
um, is is uh, everything a, is everything a uh, conspiracy? No. Are there some conspiracies? Sure. You know, just same with uh, conspiracy theories. So that's where you kind of have to be nuanced with it and and pick through what's going on. Now, you can't tell me that every go okay government fine. We don't trust them. So every nurse, every doctor, every scientist, every epidemiologist, so on and so forth, is globally whether it be China, whether it be Russia, Iran, uh, uh, Italy, uh, London, or, uh, England, or here, is all in on one big conspiracy to overblow this to try to do what? Like get more control over the people or uh, get uh, um, um, uh, kill, hurt Trump? You know, like what? what's the end goal there? What would the end game be to over, you know, to to uh, overblow something like COVID. Well, I mean, that's a good point. I, I think before you talk about what an end game would be, it's important to point out is that uh, the way in which uh, dominant hegemonic ideologies operate, it's, it's not on the conscious level, right? That's how entire masses of millions and millions of people can move in one direction so quickly. It's because what it, that direction fits in, you know, predetermined ways of thinking and understanding of the world. And those are the powerful things. So. Talk, even using the word conspiracy think is crazy. You don't, this doesn't, you don't need to have people talking to each other and coordinating what they're doing. Although you do have to understand the CDC, when, when, they, when they're referred to as the predominant, preeminent public health organization in the world, that's really true. They set up 61 separate countries' own CDC. In 1983, the CDC out of Atlanta set up China's Centers for Disease Control in 1983, and then 60 other countries. So they all look to the CDC, even the WHO, of course, right? So it really is, there is a, it's for the same reason that I can drive down a, a rural road in British Columbia and see a highway sign that has the exact same COVID-19 warning, wash your hands, stay at home. And that's the exact same message on, on, on one of, Two million of these things in France, you know, on a side rural road. That's because public health does coordinate, and the messaging does come down from the CDC. Sure, CDC gives guidance, so I mean that's pretty clear. Um, but uh, I mean, I think sometimes you give them like, look, there's definitely dark shit that goes on in this world, but there's also a lot of fucking stupidity. And uh, even at the CDC's level, I mean, look at the bungled messaging um, over masks. And then there was a disagreement between the WHO and the CDC over that, right? And it, and it was like, really, the bottom line was what it came down to, but they wouldn't admit it, was that, hey, we don't have enough masks, so we're going to tell people they don't need to wear a mask. <laughs> then more and more science comes out, and uh, and they can't, basically, they can't uh, lie about it anymore. And so they, the CDC is like, okay, yeah, maybe you should wear some facial coverings. But then the who's not on board yet. And so then there's this big back and forth thing that even gets political about masks, you know. And when, in reality, and that was funny too, because you saw people in vaping that preach harm reduction, yet argued against masks when masks are clear, clearly a form of harm reduction. They're not going to keep everyone from getting sick, but they are a barrier. They can stop droplets from coming in. They can stop droplets from coming out. They're a harm reduction tool. Um, but why did masks get so politicized? I mean, 
a lot of this is just pure stupidity on government's side. You know, the Trump administration, the the uh, um, you know the World Health Organization owns a lot of it. CDC owns it. There's just a lot of really really dumb stuff uh, going on, and it just confuses the shit out of people. And that usually is what breeds really wild conspiracy theories, like. Not saying what you're saying, but like stuff that's really, really wild. And and again, I'm not saying nothing ever happens that's not dark and sinister. It absolutely does. But we also sometimes look for things where when they're not there and can't just chalk it up to the most likely outcome of they're freaking stupid. So let me put this to you, because this is like the, the anchor part uh, of my critique. And it goes to the skepticism thing, because it's not even journalists here. Our position, you know, in March, very strongly, was that the vast majority of apers are are well positioned to be to be skeptical of what public health was telling with regards to COVID. Because remember, we're going into this lockdown. I mean, the disaster of what that. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, this lockdown's uh, the impact of it is still nowhere known, um, and so the issue for us was that how could anybody who understands the amount of mendacity, uh, you know, the lying, the deceit, the dishonesty, the bad science, like the literally, you know, unscience science that's coming out of the most respected scientists in in the topic of vaping and, and tobacco harm reduction, the complete total in the bagness that the mainstream media had every single day during the fall, they had number of new cases of E-Valley, number of deaths every day, mainstream media. You know, I mean, all of a sudden COVID happened, you know, E-Valley was a warm-up exercise. Planning or not, I don't care, but the whole template of hysteria, uh, 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 lung disease, uh, cases and deaths rolled straight into COVID. And then when you have the CDC is the one that actually, uh, you know, pulled the hair, pulled the trigger and lit the world's hair on fire, the same people that have been lying about vaping, I think it's fair to say they've been lying about vaping. Um, how can you believe them? And and that's where where I was exhausted in understanding is how come more people weren't skeptical of the CDC from within inside the vaping community because oh, their I'm track record is skeptical of them. But like, here's here's one thing, and I think sometimes it's a point that you don't bring out enough when it comes to bad regulation. Is that okay? Let let me back up there. The FDA was started for noble causes, right? Back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was thousands of people dying from shitty food, poisons in medicines, you know, like uh, old rancid food that was getting sold. Like it was a big issue. It was a real issue. And so that, like, hey, let's start a Food and Drug Administration and we're going to make sure that people aren't going to kill other people with their products, right? So it made sense. Now, unfortunately, what we have in this country and other countries have too, is this melding of really, really powerful corporations and really, really powerful uh, regulatory bodies. So what co what comes from that is crony capitalism. Mm -hmm. So what it, you know, these companies push for regulations to benefit them and hurt and screw everyone else. Now, do you think that if uh, you know pharma and a lot of other big interests didn't have such a hard on to kill vaping that the regulatory agencies would be going after it with as much heat 
Mm. Probably not. It's not just an ideological thing. There's a lot of money on the line here as well. And so, you know, I, I think like when you're when you go after a regulatory agency, it's totally valid. But you also have to sometimes go after where, you know, why why is there so, so much uh, a spotlight on the on this one particular thing? Because I mean, it's not just in vaping. If you look at all kinds of different regulations, a lot of them read like they were written by the three largest companies in that space. You know, and yeah. so. Um, uh, and then you also have activists that like, so for example, you brought up, you know, an oil pipeline, um, no matter where you sit on that, there's also money to be against it. Right. So there's green energy money. And so everywhere you look, there's money and, and powerful interests that want that, that, that might talk themselves into like, well, we're doing this for good reason, but, um, there's still money to be made. And, and that's, I'm a capitalist. I love capitalism. Like, right? Like, I, I I think that it's the best system that's out there, even though it's obviously got some major flaws. But this we we have this big problem of government and powerful corporations. And until we do things like get rid of uh, uh, or or have campaign finance reform and uh, and other things of that nature and try to get money out of politics as much as we possibly can, we're going to continue to have shitty, shitty regulations and shitty laws. So we've had, I, I'm hearkening back to maybe two years ago, you and I were having our one of our private conversations about this. There's an argument to be made that um, when government steps into a market to regulate it, that is what invites the crony capitalism in. If you look at Google, sure. 20 years ago, Google wasn't spending any money on lobbying uh, in Washington. They had no presence. And I believe it was like 2009, as late as 2009, and correct me if I'm wrong on the date, but somewhere around that uh, time is when Google first set up its first lobbying uh, relationship in Washington. But they had been operating for 12 years, you know, 13 years without needing to have lobbyists, it's only when the government comes to regulate your industry do you then need the lobbyists. So it really, you know, it, it's a chicken well, and the like egg I, situation. I, it's like, yeah, it's definitely a chicken and egg thing. And you, you, there's big companies that also push push government into regulating something like, hey, sure. you need to take a look over over at this. Um, and so it's a big problem that there's no easy like black and white solutions to it. Um, I don't think that the answer is zero regulations because there's regulations that make sense. And, uh, sure. um, you know, I think that some there needs to be some economic regulations, but that's a whole nother argument. You know, I don't think the middle class comes out from a completely free market. Um, we saw how that's gone down a few times in, in, uh, in history. And so, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where like, how do you keep it pure? How do you keep it common sense? Um, and 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 still, you know, have have a have a, a level playing field for the the businesses and the different industries that are that are wanting to uh, be a part of it. It's very difficult. Is it fair to say, Matt, that um, that you've added a, a, a not not it's not like it's new, Matt, or unseen before, Matt? But since COVID, you've added a strong political layer, a commentary layer, even over top of vaping to your to your media channels, your Twitter feed and so forth. Um, and Facebook, actually, uh, very specifically, I know that you've been throwing out some good fireballs out there 
and and leading very major conversations that have been happening with people in your group. And obviously we, we share a lot of friend circles and a lot of them are from the vaping world. So you, you've hit some pretty big topics with regards to BLM and so forth. Why don't you walk us through that? I've always been interested in, in politics. Um, and, you know, if you go back through my Facebook feed for, you know, whatever it's been, 10 years now or something, you'll see quite a few posts. But there's definitely times where I talk more about it than others. You know, because of vaping, I have shitloads of, of Facebook friends. And uh, I I, I uh, know sometimes I shouldn't stir the pot. Sometimes I do it anyway. I bite my tongue a lot on, on, other, uh, on other things. But... Yeah, I mean, I it, it's one of those kind of global issues. The COVID was, so I talked about that a lot. The protests were, so I I would, didn't talk about that as much, but I made a couple of posts about it. And so um, it's not like there's any like, you know, oh, I'm going to, there was no like, hey, I'm going to be more vocal on, on politics, um, even though some of this, I don't even necessarily feel like it's uh, it's political, even though some people think it is. Um but it's just, you know, when the feeling strikes me. When the feeling strikes you. And so what do you think about the protests? Because there is a complaint that I would share that for the longest time, the science was saying that you can't be out near people. We have to socially distance, which I just think is just such a horrible term. Thank God some governments and corporations are now calling it physical distancing because it's just a little bit more appropriate than yeah, this quasi-communist, weird, you know, social distancing thing. But, um, you know, I mean, on, on you know, there's been conflicting evidence uh, uh, coming from public health on these issues. And then all of a sudden uh, the protests happen and it just seems that all rationality goes out the way that it's okay the 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 virus isn't transmittable if you are not white i don't know it's just pretty crazy what do you think um i think that you know that definitely went through my mind and i said that to vanessa multiple times like i really hope that uh covid's not getting spread around um so it was a very very unfortunate timing um, like I, you might have seen me say on Facebook, though, when when things like these this happens, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember uh, the L.A. riots in in '92, right? It was '92. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, we tend to focus a lot, and and again, like I'm not for rioting, I'm not for looting, I'm not for you know people hurting other people physically, um, obviously, but we tend to focus on the symptom more than we focus on, on the actual problems. And so it kind of gives a scapegoat type of thing for everyone, like where everyone just talks about the businesses burning instead of talking about why this actually, you know, happened in the first place. And uh, people are a little desensitized to, um, some of the, uh, um, uh, you know, crimes, I would say that, that police have, have, uh, made over the years and uh and so we you know it's like for some i think they just see it and they're like well the guy you know i mean look at some of the memes that you'll see well the guy was wasn't a good guy anyway he uh he went to jail and he got arrested for this and and that or whatever instead of actually focusing on okay maybe he wasn't a great guy but the bottom line is is that a cop shouldn't be doing that and and a riot or civil unrest is a symptom to you know, a bigger, bigger systemic issue. And I mean, do you think you, in one of your posts, um, 
you know, you're making a, a comment with regards to saying all lives matter isn't necessarily fantastic. No, I mean, that's like, and some people have used this analogy, and that's like saying, you know, going up to a save the whales person and saying, why, why don't you care about the rhinos, right? Like, it's very clear that all lives matter. That's, you know, the, I don't think that the, the Black Lives Matter movement is in by any means trying to say that, uh, you know, our lives matter and yours don't. Um, it's uh, the, the whole point of it is to uh, uh, fight for justice, obviously. You know, there's been many, many times where police officers have gotten off, um, you know, and, and basically murdered people. Um, and it's about fighting for uh, equality and, and things of that nature. But it's kind of like one of those things that people feel that like that's like their first gut instinct to throw in. Why? Like, why, why is that your, you know, like if, if you see some people protesting and somebody has a, a Black Lives Matter sign up, why is your first instinct to say, well, all lives matter? Like, why, why are you so offended by it? It's fine if you're totally understand if you're offended by rioting or looting, you know, none of that's good stuff. But like, why are you offended by a Black Lives Matter march if it's peaceful? Well, I think that's two different things, right? If you're bringing up offending, offended about the march or offended because what you've been brought up, uh, uh, which was believing that, you know, there's, there's only, you know, only one race, the human race or, or skin color doesn't matter. I mean, I'm old enough to know that that's what the strong liberal values used to be. I grew up with that. I mean, I grew well, up, I grew up yes, with that yes, movement. But that's also because we're white. And so we, you know, People live, and myself included, people live in a bubble where, especially here in Montana, I'm, I'm from Seattle, but I live in Montana now, where you obviously know that slavery ended hundreds of years ago. We had civil rights uh, you know, in, in, laws in the 60s. Jim Crow era is over. Everything's good. We're fine, guys. You know, like, love it, love and all that stuff. But that same person that thinks we have all this equality, I'm thinking of a few people I know locally, will then say some really fucking racist shit. Pardon my French. Sorry, I shouldn't say the F-bomb on here. Um, it's okay. And so, you, you know, like, I think that people are sheltered and they're in their own bubble and don't realize that there is still some systemic issues. Just because we all of a sudden made everything good um, by law doesn't mean that hundreds of years of inequality and hundreds of years of different institutions and segregation didn't take its toll and it doesn't take decades or maybe centuries to slowly unravel all that. Well, gosh, I sure hope it doesn't take centuries. And for one, if it does, if it does take centuries, it kind of belies the progressive uh, promise that you can socially engineer a better man. I mean, if it takes centuries to change the way people think, then maybe there might be something more towards the fact that there's innate things of the way people think and they can't just be changed so easily by coming up with a new slogan or, or some new textbooks. It's either one or the other. Either human beings are malleable and can uh, uh, change the way they think and, and reimagine the way that they deal with other human beings, or we're born this way and we're not changing. I mean, I don't understand. Well, I mean, it's just, it's one of those tough things. And like, I think society's perpetuated certain, certain different, uh, uh, stereotypes that, that, uh, don't go away super easily. And I mean, there's just a lot of like, what about isms too, like that people get 
get, you know, well, what about black on black crime? Well, like no one's saying that, that that's a good thing. People, you know, like I saw in the, in the comments, someone brought up Chicago. That's in the Chicago news all the time. I remember when they set records, it was in the mainstream news. There's activists and, and organizers in Chicago that are working on that stuff. Um, now, it might not be as big a mainstream news and might not be on CNN every day because rioting is a sexier story than just gang murder, right? But uh, it still doesn't mean that there's not people working on those issues as well. No, fair enough. And um, you mentioned social justice. Or you mentioned justice, actually. I've got a question with regards to, say, vaping, and this has been something that has been on our mind for a while. You and I have talked about this in our offline conversations. First of all, can we, maybe I'll just throw this at you as just a quick, you know, a quick missive. Is it fair to say that there is a majority of vapors or close to majority of vapors that fall maybe more on the center to center left progressive side? Or, I, you know, when you look at the whole milieu of the vaping world, I don't know if it's fair to say that, you know, it's really driven by libertarians and conservatives and those on the right. Or is it? Um, I mean, I as far as every vapor, I have no clue. I mean, look at smokers and and some of the demographics there. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you there's definitely a, a, a lot of uh, uh, LGBTQ folks that smoke, but then there's also a bunch of uh, people in the South that might lean right that that mm -hmm. smoke, you know. And so, um, from my interactions, I would say like, as far as the people that are like really into it, business owners or, you know, act activists and hobbyists, I've definitely come across more right-leaning people than left-leaning people. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it, the, there's a silent majority in vaping that we don't know about, right. That just buys a jewel or whatever, right. or uh, goes into their local vape shop and, uh, doesn't, doesn't ever go online to talk about vaping or or uh, join Casa or go to any you know type of vape event. So it's tough to say what the what the split is there. Sure. Okay. So fair enough. Uh, so let me move that over then to the anti vaping forces. The reason why we're doing this is because you know Reg Watch this year in 2020 we're all about identifying the enemy, freezing the enemy, and then figuring out some strategies in which to help you know win this battle. Because I would like to think that. People want to win this battle, and I think it's an important battle. That's why we've been covering this issue for five years. So when you look at the anti-vaping forces, our comment on that would be is that they do lean center to left progressive. I mean, it's all Democrats, majority, sign the letters to the set, you know, the set from the Senate every month to FDA. It does seem to be a Democratic uh, yeah. party value. A am I wrong? I'm you. you shoot shoot that you no know. you're absolutely right and uh um that's i think that there's multiple different layers to that um one i i don't think that the vaping industry ever did a super great job at really trying to like you know court all sides um i think that they they saw you know maybe the more libertarian types on the right as a, as an easy target and always formed an argument for them which is good you know obviously you want to form an argument for your audience but they never really put a good coherent argument um together for some on the left and and that's unfortunate but also you got to understand on you know there's there's not just two groups here right there's people if you take what would be considered on the left um 
there's all this infighting, right? You got people that consider themselves progressives. You got the the Bernie Sanders types that might call themselves a uh, democratic socialist or maybe a progressive as well. You got the moderate uh, Democrats, the Chuck Schumer types, and you know the old Democrats that are just Democrats because their dad was a Democrat, <laughs> and and so on and so forth. And so you know, and there's the same thing on on what would be considered the right. Um, now, I think that uh, obviously there's money that has to do with a lot of this. I mean, there's Democrats that take quite a bit of pharma money. I think that that plays a part. And I also think that people are blinded by the big tobacco and big corporation aspect of it. So when it comes to an actual progressive, I'm not talking like a, a Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer type of Democrat. I'm talking like a, a actual progressive. Got like it. Somebody, you know, Somebody that's like anti-money uh, um, uh, in politics, somebody that's, uh, uh, you know, for Medicare for all, so on and so forth. Um, a real reformer. The, yeah. The biggest issue that I hear from that type of person is the, you know, this seems like Big Tobacco 2.0. And when Big Tobacco, and we knew this was going to happen, it just, you know, we started slowly happening with blue and stuff when I was vaping. But when Big Tobacco really threw their threw themselves in and uh, and started making their own vapor products and really promoting it hard. And that Altria Jewel um, partnership really, you know, hurt us with this argument as well. That's when, like, you know, th it was really hard to try to get people to, to understand and to try to realize there's more to this industry than just a big tobacco company. And, you know, they'll point back towards, uh, you know, big tobacco uh uh, CEOs lying to Congress and the the old ads from you know 50 years ago where they said hey your Dr. Schmidt says smoke luckies or whatever um, and so that's that's a tough one to get uh, to get over with with some of them is like how do how do we know this isn't just you know big tobacco 2.0 this isn't just big corporations trying to throw the wool over our eyes I mean I know of different people that have been in front of um, left-leaning politicians and have said, you know, it, they've had to be explained like we're not all jewel. You know, they they think you're all jewel and they think that you're paid and it's it's uh, um, astroturfing and stuff like that. And so that that's that's a very very difficult uh, hurdle to to get over with them. Sure. But some of the arguments that that need to be used with them are obviously the science arguments, but you know. One that works well with me is when I bring up the UK to to a lot of them. Hey, the UK has some of the um, least amount of uh, big tobacco and pharma influence in their government um, compared to all the Western. You know, when you compare them to all the uh, Western countries, and they have uh, and they also have uh, socialized medicine, and they've completely uh, um, embraced vaping as a harm reduction tool, and so that can help. Obviously. A, you know, likening it to the war on drugs can help. You know, do you want a war on drugs 2.0? You know what what groups of people end up getting uh, uh, dispropor disproportionately affected when you when you do that. Um, and so there's a lot of good left-leaning arguments that can be used with these left-leaning politicians. I cringe when I watch a hearing and all the vapors go to talk at this hearing one after one. And they're, you know, they're in California or they're in New York and they're all just making the freedom. I can do whatever the hell I want argument, which 
you're, it, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad argument. It's just you need to give a little more um, than than that with some of these people. And that is definitely one of our questions I wanted to ask you because it clearly seems that the liberty argument is a non-starter when it comes to vaping. So if we recognize that that's kind of the group of people that we we kind of have to reach and crack through, um, you know, progressives, Democrats, the left, so that mix there. Um, they've got a, as you so perfectly said, they, you know, big tobacco is an incarnation of great evil when it comes to progressives. The, the actual tobacco industry is really the first major industry in, in their hundred year battle that they set their sights on and they took down. I mean, it's the biggest evil out there. The bigger evil arguably would be oil and they apply the same kind of tactics, good or bad, to their battle against big oil. But big tobacco is, you can't surmount that mountain. It is the big evil. It's the incarnation of great evil. And to the extent that they brought big tobacco to heal with the MSA and making them pay and then use, and using all that money from, from the MSA to fund state programs and education and public health and all that great stuff progressives love, you know, that's a, that's a winning deal, right? And so as vaping comes in and puts pressures on that, and I would argue that, Vaping presents an opportunity for big tobacco companies, if they so choose, to redeem themselves. If they were to strike all of their combustible products over the next 10 years, 15 years, even 20, and replace it all with harm reduction, I don't know if, if progressives are willing to give that up. That's, that means they lose that win. That means, that means what was the incarnation of great evil is now in redemption. And we don't see a lot of redemption these days. I think that that's fair. Um, and, you know, it's just like how there's been some bills um, where, you know, people don't want big tobacco involved in the cannabis space. But, you know, I, I, could, I can't fault somebody for necessarily feeling that way um, when, you know, there's, there's trust issues there, obviously. Um, but uh, um, uh, where was I going with this? The, the bottom line is, is that people get screwed. The small businesses get screwed in the process. And, you know, even if, uh, you know, we see now big tobacco wants to go, you know, they realize the future and a lot of them want to go more of a smokeless route, but they're also going to try to take down all the little guys on their way there. And, you know, we've seen, you know, different, you know, they're the ones in the back rooms making tax deals in some of these states and, and things of that nature um, so that they survive. And so that's anti-harm reduction too, you know? And so that's, that's what's unfortunate is like when you meld the argument of harm reduction together with like big business, well, the big business is not, you know, they, they might not always want the what's the most harm reduction possible. They want what's going to line their pockets the most. So let's let's dive into that because that's the other issue. The liberty argument doesn't really hold much sway with with vapors. At least they not all vapors can get behind the liberty argument. That's one issue. And well, I then mean, I do. Sorry to interrupt, but I will say I do, I have used that argument with. I live in Montana. You know, I talked to Republican uh, um, uh, politicians last week because of what's going on here, and I have a somewhat liberty argument when I talk to them, and I definitely talk about small business and and stuff like that, and and I'll point out, hey, you know, people were you read about E Valley? That's not you know, it wasn't nicotine vaping that was killing people, but you know, I'll I'll get more on that liberty type of argument with them, but if I'm talking to a uh, uh, 
you know, a Democrat or, or a progressive or whoever, my argument's going to be different. So fair enough. And so let's move to harm reduction because that's the other real, you know, not there's really only two. There's a liberty and there's harm reduction. And, and so harm reduction, there seems to be no appetite in public health, and at least in the decision-making part of public health, and the part of public health that owns a direct pipeline into mainstream media, that public health, CDC, FDA, and so forth, they are not behind harm reduction. They, they harm reduction seems to be dead. And when you look, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, and and when we look at the public health people that come on our show, you know, the huge caliber, the Linda Balds and the Ken Warners and so forth, John Britton's, they're all on one side of the continental divide in public health. And that side is, is, you know, you know, tobacco harm reductions, a real thing. It's the priority. And then the other side, it's all about the kids <laughs> and, uh, and so forth. So how do we handle this harm reduction argument? Because while it's a valid argument, while it's the life-saving argument, it seems to be just completely discounted and not taken seriously by public health. Yeah, um, I think that like the the anti harm reduction stance that a lot of public health groups take is is pro kind of this puritanical programming that is a uh, um, stems from the the drug war and the way that we've treated addiction in this country for uh, years and years and years. So you know, public health isn't just anti tobacco harm reduction. There's actually been fights with, you know, opioid harm reduction as well and other types of, of, of drug harm reduction. And so people have this this built in mentality of it's a quit or die mentality. It's a, it's a zero sum game where like you either quit or you, you die. There's no in between there. Now, slowly but surely, we're starting to see more and more like um, mental health folks adopt harm reduction when it comes to uh, drugs, various different drugs, including um, uh, tobacco. And uh, we're, we're starting to see it, but it, you know, there's definitely some pro-harm reduction uh, doctors and, uh, and uh, other people in public health out there, but they're still in the minority. And I think like it's, again, it's, it's this mentality that a lot of them have. And it, it, you know, it might go really deep, just kind of how the, you know, the U S was started as like this kind of Puritan country. Um, you know, it was like these, these religious people that came here and like, we've, we've dealt with certain things very much more, I wouldn't say conservatively, but just more puritanical, I guess, than, than Europe has, whether it be drugs or whether it be sex work or, or, uh, 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 you know, sex in general, or just different things that that we consider taboo or 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 evil. Um, Europe is isn't as black and white on on those things. So, you mentioned, and this is really it's the it's the title, it's the it's the raison d'être for our piece today. Is we have to persuade the public. I mean that. I mean the, the poison is just so thick. Um, how to do it? I, I I don't know. That's what what we're working on right now. But we have a U.S. presidential election coming. We have, you know, an unpopular or popular president, depending on which side you're on. Um, the interesting thing is that the uh, Izzy Valley and the epidemic and Jewel did force this issue straight into the White House uh, and, and, you know, led to what we know that it had happened, almost ban, and then full sit down at the White House, you know, with the industry. I think there was some eye opening the president had on this issue with regards to 
who are the enemies of vaping. And oh my goodness, some of them are the same enemies that I have on many other issues. You know, when he's sitting there right next to Mitt Romney, he didn't put Mitt Romney there uh, because he wanted to be nice to Mitt Romney. He wanted Mitt Romney there to contrast (laughs) uh, uh, the positions. So potentially there is political action that could be taken here. In 2016, there was way more discussion of the vaping industry being active and, you know, really formulating some strategies and plans around specific candidates and specific districts and actually helping them get reelected and so forth. I hear zero of that this year. And, you know, so I'm just from your point of view and from what you know, because, you know, you're involved with a lot of the organizations too as well. Is there an activation going on that is organized in vaping to fight for the movement um, at the state and the federal level in 2020? Um, I think there, here's what, what I think happened is, is last year was so damaging on multiple levels and so many people got burnt out and it was like this fight and it's almost like we, we used all our energy up on that. And then this year, COVID hits, right? <laughs> Which derailed a, a lot of you know businesses. And uh, also there's PMTA deadlines. And so a lot of the big money, the bigger companies are working on getting their PMTAs done. And so I think that uh, you know as we get closer and closer, you'll see more like um, uh, activation going on in various different states to you know on the state level. On the federal level, that's tough now, you know, because Trump's got bigger concerns than vaping now, obviously. And, you know, obviously Biden doesn't doesn't uh, that's not on the top of his list either. Uh, You know, now it's. COVID and the economy. And so um, trying to get through on the federal level is definitely going to be difficult and uh, um, and, and, and might not work out for us this time. On the state level, you know, where where races are tight and stuff, I think that there, you know, there can still be uh, um, some good fights there. But you know, it, it's it's going to be the the one thing that I could maybe see happening, and I don't know. This is kind of a pipe dream, but because the economy is, a good, you know, it's a trickle thing. I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. We haven't. You know, the Great Depression didn't happen overnight. It happened. Yeah is a domino effect that took, you know, a few years to really hit the bottom. Um, because of all the economic issues, maybe there will be some regulatory relief. Maybe the FDA will push to extend the deadline again and get the judge to okay it. I don't know. Um, but uh, that might be something that's worth focusing on more than trying to get Trump to do something about vaping right now, because I kind of feel like that's like the last concern, you know, or on the very bottom of a, uh, of uh, his priority list when it comes to uh, this election now because of what's happened. I mean, no one sure. imagined what that 2020 was going to be like this between the, you know, the COVID protests, the economy, just nuts. So, and, you know, we're just asking questions here on this. I mean, I certainly don't actually specifically have a full opinion on this, except for that. I recognize that say, for instance, the campaign of we vape, we vote might not be effective this year not just because of Trump, but also polarization with inside the vaping advocacy world, you know, not really wanting to take the liberty argument, um, uh, you know, voting, uh, if you happen to be 
you know, very anti-Trump and you are a vapor, it's harder this year to make the argument to be a single issue voter and vote on behalf of vaping. Hold your nose <laughs> and vote on behalf of vaping. I mean, is that even going to is that even a winnable thing to ask the foot soldiers of vaping? It's a tough sell, but I mean, even if you, I think, I think it's just more difficult to, um, you know, get through to get through with that message at this point anyway. I mean, at last year with the We Vape We Vote message, vaping was in the news every day, and that was like a big issue. And obviously, you know, there were states like uh, Michigan where vapors could decide because it was so close the last time, you know, it was like 10,000 votes between uh, uh, winning and losing for Trump. But, you know, is it something that uh, the Trump campaign is necessarily thinking is going to be like the tipping point this year? Probably not just because of everything else going on. Now, their biggest concern, I'm assuming, is getting the economy to rebound before the election. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it really seems like. And again, I'm just a layman here. I'm not like a political analyst, but in my, where I'm at, you know, you either get the economy to rebound by, by election time, or you're going to have a hard time winning. And that's just what history has shown. Mm -hmm. And so I would guess that that's what the uh, biggest uh, um, concern is now. Um, you know, that type of movement on a state level could be more effective because there's very, very close races uh, in various states. So it's going to be a little bit more last minute this year is, is my my sense of it all. So you had originally were uh, laying out some ways in which you're suggesting that vaping could talk to the, some of the more entrenched uh, people on the center to the center left, the progressive side. And so my question, one of my questions is, is that is it possible to turn the vaping issue into a social justice issue? Because harm reduction flows into that and also some liberty can flow into social justice. So yeah. is, 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 could that not be a winner? It's always struck me, um, uh, uh, dumbstruck actually, about how it's never been framed that way from the vaping side, considering knowing where the most of the obstacles lie yeah. politically. Well, and I think it started to be framed that way by some last fall. You know, we had people like Ethan Nadelman starting to speak up more, who's more on, you know, he, I think he describes himself as a social libertarian, which I would too, but, you know, progressive or left-leaning when it comes to economics, things of that nature. And there's a lot of, you know, people on the left that are like that, that, you know, when it comes to drug policy and and some of those other issues are are very much so you know, I guess you would call libertarian or, 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 you know, what have you. And so, um, I think that we need to look at the cannabis industry and I'm not saying that we're going to be able to copy them completely, but they've been a really, they've done a really good job at creating a coalition of the, on the right, the kind of libertarian types, the, the, uh, Rand Paul types, you know, or even look at like Grover Norquist and from Americans for tax reform, he's, you know, pro, uh, a cannabis legalization for multiple reasons. And so, you know, on the right, you kind of got a group like that. And then on the left, you got the progressives not, and it, and it gets somebody in chat said, uh, Schumer's a moderate when it comes to Democrats. Yeah. He's more of what, what, what you would call that is a corporate Democrat. Mm. You'd call him a corporate Dem. And so, um, 
you know, yeah, on the left spectrum, I would call him more of a moderate, but also beholden to a lot of corporations. So on the left, you don't, you're not going to get a guy like that. And on the right, you're not going to get a Mitt Romney type, you know, but you could get some of the more progressive types, the, you know, the, the uh, um, justice Democrat types, like there's a group called justice Democrats that, uh, you know, fight for uh, drug reform and things of that nature. And so, you know, I, I definitely think you have to use a good social justice argument and use the term war on drugs 2.0, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, you could talk about harm reduction, but also, you know, war on drugs. Like, this is going to create a black market. Who's going to get disproportionately affected if it creates a black market? Look at what happened to Eric Garner when he was trying to sell black market cigarettes. And so, um, you know, there there's, it, there's definitely like a good a way to frame it um, for a lot of those people if you can get through. Yeah, it's almost too bad we can't, you know, make an argument that says that, you know, if you're anti-vaping, it's racist. <laughs> Do no response. Okay, <laughs> let's let's move to um, Montana. So bring it back to some of the actions that are going on. And now this is your home state, right? You're, you're, what's the, what's the, um, the motto for Montana? What's the motto for Montana? Yeah, you know, like, you know, driving hard, free, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, it's, it's a, I don't know, I forget what the state motto is. I guess okay. I'm a bad Montanan, but uh, it's definitely one of the more libertarian states. Right, okay, so yeah, fair enough. So here, you know, exactly. So we've got Montana. So walk us through what's going on. It is, a, they've proposed a permanent ban on sale of flavored e-cigarettes. So what? Unfortunately, what happens at Montana's legislature only meets every other year. And so when they're not meeting and, you know, they don't have a lot of power. And so regulatory agencies can overstep their bounds. I'm assuming if this goes through, there's going to be uh, um, lawsuits and who knows what's going to happen. But the health department's had kind of this hard on for vaping ever since E-Valley, where they temporarily banned flavors and then they got fought in court and uh, got an injunction and then you know the injunction uh expired and then eventually they got their their uh, temporary ban but they proposed this uh permanent ban on flavors and there's not a lot of oversight by uh the senate and the house right now because they're not in session and so the only the only thing that uh, um, could ha happen by uh, senators and, and uh, Congress people is they do have an interim health committee that's divided 50-50. There's 10 of them divided 50-50 Democrats, Republicans. So you need to turn six of them to vote to suspend this this uh, uh, proposal if it gets finalized. But they'd have to wait until it gets finalized. So last week I spent... Uh, uh, a whole day on the phone with a lot of them. I didn't get through to all of them. I need to try again this year, um, or sorry, this week, <laughs> this year. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's kind of an angle to take that we're going to try to take. And then there's obviously lawsuits as well. So yes, again, another state, another battle, another fight. You had mentioned that you know a good chunk of your audience is actually global. Um, what's your thoughts on what's going on in Australia? We're probably not going to be doing much coverage on this. We have actually Kevin Crowley on tomorrow, which for the first time, and we're going to have a great chat. We'll ask him too about Montana and Australia. Um, so 
what is your understanding of what's going on down there? And I mean, what's your what's your reaction to it? Well, I think it's good to understand what the kind of the layout was like in Australia beforehand. So basically, nicotine was like nicotine vaping was. And if you're an Australian and I butcher this, I apologize. But from my understanding is nicotine vaping was illegal to sell. And so what people were doing, like when I was in New Zealand, I met some different vape shop owners. They were There was vape shops in, in Australia. There still is vape shops in Australia. They were selling hardware and zero-nick e-liquid and then teaching people how to buy uh, nick shots or, you know, bulk nicotine online where it would get shipped in from New Zealand and, and vapors were mixing their own e-liquid. Now with this new law, I think like there's stiffer penalties on the people that are trying to buy nicotine, like $200,000 or something crazy like that. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's most likely going to kill vape shops and they're basically trying to push everything into a, uh, um, into a prescription only model. So, you know, obviously under a model like that, only the big companies will survive. I think they have to like try to get a permit to sell, you know, to sell their vaping product as a prescription and then a doctor prescribes it and people either buy it at their drugstore or whatever. So what was going on in Australia before wasn't good either, but this is really shitty as well. And it, it kind of gives one more hurdle for you know, someone that wants to go from smoking to vaping to have to go through. If you have to go get a prescription and it's not there to, you know, just try out because there's a Sigalike at your gas station or there's a vape shop down the street, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are deterred from from ever uh, switching. It, uh, how successful can it, can the movement be in fighting against this? That's what I don't know. I don't think that like the the uh, industry is super strong in Australia, again, because of a lot of the business was happening online. And, you know, like I said, there were some vape shops, but they were selling zero nick and, and hardware. But, you know, I, I don't know. There, there's going to have to be more of a grassroots thing. And uh, like I know Vaping Bogan, he's in Australia, made a video about it. And I, I think there's, you know, some different campaigns going on. But how effective it is, I, I don't know. It, it's it's. It's not looking good, I would say. Yeah, the overall, what's been coming out has been really a concern that there was going to be a lot of people returning to smoking um, as a result of this. And clearly, you know, this is some research that was out uh, previously. And, you know, it was making a great point that actually, you know, a lot of smokers are moving to e-cigarettes. So it's only natural to assume there's going to be a chunk of them that are going to go back to smoking. Yeah. And and I think that's, go ahead, go ahead. Well, here's the problem too, is, is like, like I said, I think you can as a business. So like, let's say you're jewel or smoke or whatever, um, you can get a permit to sell your product, you know, as that in that prescription based model, but I'm assuming only a few will get it right. So you're then giving that whole industry to a couple big companies and if, and they are going to have all the money and if there's ever a push to like 
reverse what's happening because I think like they're saying they're only doing this for 12 months, but we all know that's going to be for longer than that. Um, you know, they're going to extend it and the businesses making all the money off of the prescription vapes are going to want to keep their, their racket going. Right. And they, and they're not going to want to, uh, open the, uh, the market back up and have vape shops and hundreds of different products. And so once you kind of go down that slippery slope, it's going to be really hard to ever reverse it and, and come back from it. I do agree with you there. There's no doubt. Well, just, I mean, let's, as we're wrapping up here, Matt, I mean, it seems like there's a two-pronged problem. Let me move this back to North America and to the States here, is that not all ships are moving in the same direction for vaping. And uh, the one ship that seems to be controlling the movement on the regulations is just not even looking backwards, right? They're just in one direction. They're going for that. So, you know, in this great big ocean out there, how do we get our ships all working together? How do we grab some other ships to maybe try to head off the regulatory ship? And, you know, it's interesting because nobody talks, I mean, what I, what I can tell you this is that coming from the conservative world out there, they don't necessarily have, if you're a non-vapor and you're a conservative, you don't necessarily have any better of a conception of vaping than uh, a progressive that, you know, watches CNN every day or whatever. You know, the chances are that a conservative has got just the same kind of disdain for vaping if they haven't been educated. There's a lot of conservatives sure. that just don't know anything about it. And they just it's so easy for them to just accept the position from the left because it's just an easy one to accept. I mean, you're getting beaten down left and right, you know, on all these other issues. And then you look at vaping, you go, well, this is a no-brainer. They keep telling us that it's bad for you, so it's bad for you. It must be. I don't vape. I don't smoke. Nobody in my family does. This is obviously bad. So is there some is there some opportunity missing here going, hey, there's some big, huge ships out there, and they're conservative, and they're crazy Trump voters, and they may not be vapors or anything. Is anybody talking to them? Can can Should they be a focus of, of some messaging? Because... If you could turn eight or nine million of those people into supporters, do you still need to try to turn the few progressives that you might get? Just tossing it out there. I mean, my viewpoint is that long term, again, you need a coalition. So, yeah, you can't uh, turn your back on those folks, but you also can't turn your back on the folks on the left. And and why I say that is because. We're not going to ever be as powerful as like the gun industry. We're not going to ever have something as big as the NRA, at least not in the near future, right? Like not in the next few decades. Um, and so do you want to live and die by who's in power? Do you want to live and die by, um, you know, whether there's a Democrat or Republican as president or, or who uh, has the majority in the House or the Senate? And so, you know, it's it's a tough one because you don't want it to be too polarizing to where, um, you know, one side's always going to hate you, everybody on that side's going to hate you, and the other side's, you know, fine with you, and then it becomes this, this political argument constantly. And so you're not going to get everyone on the left, and you're not going to get everyone on the right, but you kind of got to look for the lower-hanging fruit. And in my mind, that lower-hanging fruit is the same group that supports cannabis legalization and that's the libertarian types on the right and the uh and the progressive types on the left well that's interesting I, I like having a singular kind of focus for some of the action matt thank you so much for coming on the show today 
Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Just stay right there. Well, that is it for this edition of RegWatch. And before you head off, please head on over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com. And consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. We are downstream of the industry, my friends. And so it means we get hit hard. So any help you can give us uh, to help us keep producing this content would be fantastic. And of course, it is easy to do. Just dig into your wallet and find a few dollars, toss them our way, and you'll be happy you did it. And so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.